Hi, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody. First kind of order of business that we have this morning is that on our elder board, we have basically four guys now, and you need five. We need a, we need a, a, a tiebreaker, as it were. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the elders if they would come up. Mike and Ed, come on up. And uh, with that, we're going to bring Randy Mays on up, and he's going to be... Uh, the elders have got together, and we prayed, and we uh, uh, just felt the leading of the Lord. I asked, because uh, we needed an another guy. And uh, they had, uh, before I could say anything, all three of them had said, Randy. And I went, praise God, that's good for me. So this morning, we are going to lay hands on Randy and pray for him, if you would. In a sense that, that these are your elders, they are the ones that you will go to, you will call on. Uh, if there's a need, you let them know. And if it's greater than what I can handle, they will take care of it and they'll bring it to me and then we'll take care of it as the Lord leads. So this morning, we're going to turn. Go ahead and lay hands on him, would you guys? Randy, uh, this commission and mission that the Lord has given to you is something that is found in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And all of those subjects that are in that uh, order of, of service as a deacon uh, and an elder are found there. And so this morning, we're going to commission you and pray for you and ask the Lord's blessing on you. So do you accept this as your ministry and your mission here in our fellowship? Yes, I do. Okay, let's please extend your hand if you would, please, as if you're laying hands on him too. Wonderful, mighty king. Lord God, King of the universe, Lord, we love you, we bless you. We thank you for the calling of each person that, Lord, is called to a different position and to serve. And so we ask that, Lord, you would bless and anoint and give Randy wisdom and insight for your kingdom and for your glory and for all those that would come to him. I pray that you would uh, give him discernment in their hearts to see and understand and be a great help for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you for Randy. Bless him, Lord God. And Janine with him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. And this is the addition to our eldership. So I give him a big hand. All right. With that, if you would open your Bibles to First um, Peter. We're still in chapter 1. And... Uh, if you've known me or you've known my ministries and stuff for the, through the years, I go slow <laughs> because I like to, you know, it's like you're going to go digging, you know, you're going to go mining. I, I don't want to go in there and just run through the thing. I want to make sure that we pull out all that's in there. Paul said this, you know, and it's a very important verse for us. He did not fail to bring you the whole counsel of God's word. The whole council means every jot, every tittle, from the beginning to the end, all the spaces, everything. So we're going we're gonna to do that, and that's part of our, our place this morning in God's word. So if you would just pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you would uh, be, uh, Lord, the life that's on the letters and in the pages and in the word that we hear. Lord, you are the word of God. And Lord, whenever we speak your words, it's you speaking. So give us ears to hear what you would have to say, Lord. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So last week we learned about election and how our election in that is based upon uh, the foreknowledge of God. As God sees the end from the beginning. And so in that foreknowledge we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is tied to our election. And our election is this. Election plus sanctification equals obedience. And I'll say that again. Election plus sanctification equals obedience. We are, God sees you from the end, from the beginning. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going to do. And then he chooses to sanctify you. And that's the process of changing you from glory to glory into his image of his son. To having your minds renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's the part that sometimes is the hard part of being a, a believer. Because we are in our bodies. We know that our flesh is in conflict with the spirit. So the sanctification process is God working in you both to will and to do, as Scripture says, to his good pleasure. He wants to change you into the image of his, of his son. So election plus sanctification equals obedience. But I have a question. Why should we obey? Why should we obey if we don't have hope? What reason is all of this? Well, the thing is, is we do have hope. And the hope is based upon the resurrected Christ. We have hope because of the witness of his resurrection by over 500 and then the records throughout history and early church history. So we have this hope in us of our Christ, our our risen Savior. Not only that, that he forever lives and he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for each one of us. Why do we need intercession? Well, because we live in a fallen world. We live with an enemy who hates us. And he wants, to, he wants to take us out. He wants to destroy you. He steals, kills, and destroys. He's out to take your life and mine. And not only does he want to trip you up, but once he trips you up, he wants to get you down. And once he gets you down, he wants to just grind his heel into you. We're not to be ignorant of his devices. We've got to know who we're dealing with. And he's a wicked, evil being that we have greater power over through Christ. So I didn't want to focus on him and what he is, but don't mess with him. You know, we were talking about this in the men's prayer group the other day about prayer. And the, the problem that people do in prayer, you've heard say, oh, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Bad form. Bad form. The Lord rebuke you. Get Jesus in between you and him because you're not more powerful than him, but Jesus is. So the strong man is our Christ, is the one who is able to intercede for us, and he does that. But see, the thing is about Jesus, he doesn't ask much of you and me. He doesn't. He just asks us to abide and believe, right? Well, here's in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says to the man whose uh, child had been sick he says if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes and immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears this is us isn't it immediately cried out with tears lord i believe but help my unbelief i believe lord but i'm having a hard time going that extra step that extra place and that just reveals something in this man in us that we're all in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle. I'm in a spiritual battle. And we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God 
of pulling down these strongholds, the Bible says. Well, our weapons that are we have, they're not bullets, they're not bombs. They're spiritual. They're known that the Word of God, the Word of God is spiritual. It is the power of the Word of God and the sword of the Spirit in Hebrews chapter 1, 11, is that we have this sword of the Spirit to come and to bring down these strongholds but it's not just the, the sword. It's the, it's, we know the full armor of God. It's a spiritual armor. These are the armors that we need to put on. These are the things that we need to put on. And we, our weapons consist of word, faith, walking in the spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Those are our spiritual weapons. It's when, when the enemy comes in, he's going to come in and it, he comes in with confusion, doesn't he? And when confusion comes in, that's where the word comes in, because the word of God straightens out that crookedness that takes place in confusion. So here in Peter, in First Peter, I want to ask you a question. You've, most all of you have flown on an airplane, right? Yes? No? Just me? <laughs> have you ever been on a plane that's been in a rough flight? We flew to Israel once, and once we were going over the Alps, and as we were over the Alps... Our plane descended, I don't know how far, but it w- we were weightless. It just went, boom, and everybody's screaming, whatever. Rough flight. Okay. So whatever ha- what happens when you have a rough flight and then you land? What do people do? They clap and cheer, don't they? They clap and cheer. Well, we're talking about that. That's a spiritual battle. That's a spiritual life. You know, life can be rough, but it's the landing that is important, right? Spiritual battles are much like that. So here Peter says in verse 6 of chapter 1, in this, what? In this, okay? I want you to kind of hold on to that. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So in other words, they were in a rough flight. We know from the previous portion of of this chapter that they were fleeing for their lives. They were under persecution. There was, this was a heavy time. So in this, he's speaking of that rough flight, that the genuineness of your faith, because of that trial, genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, believe, you love, though Though not now, you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he says, in this, when he's saying in this, we have to ask, in what? In what? Well, he told us about it in the previous chapter. The fact of the matter is that God is holding your reservation of salvation there in heaven. Isn't that cool? Our inheritance, our reservation is being held there uh, in heaven. Life may be rough. We may be have a, a rough life. But guess what? We're going to have a great landing. We're going to have a great landing. Heaven's going to be a great landing. You know, so praise God. But notice how the trials here that he says are grievous, but they're just for a little while. They're short. There is no temptation that isn't common to you man, uh, to man, but the Lord will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. So we have these trials. We have these times that come into our lives. And 
It just seems like either it's a real long trial or it's a real short trial. Well, he's saying here with these people, keep them in mind, they're fleeing for their lives. He says, it just, it's just for a little while. Don't, don't worry. Just keep trusting. See, as our, te- our, as our faith is being tested, we're being tested in a trial, we have good reason to rejoice because the Lord has already proven himself faithful in the past. And if he's proven himself pa- faithful in the past, he's going to be consistent. He doesn't change. He doesn't wander around. He stays true. And if he promises never to leave you nor forsake you, he's there with you. You're in the trial. He's faithful. But remember that the trial that they're facing is a trial of life and death. You know, things are different. They're running for their lives. There's no vacation escape for them. But Peter tells us here in verse 7 why we go through trials. Trials are there to prove our faith. Trials are there to prove our faith. I heard J. Vernon McGee one time. Y'all heard J. Vernon McGee, right? Great guy. He used to work um, with some engineers in respect to uh, building these train bridges across, and he was in Texas. And so uh, they, they had these engines, and they built this big, long rail bridge. And they brought these tra- locomotives, and they just started bringing more and more locomotives, and they just let them sit on this bridge. And this one guy looked at him and says, so what are they doing? And he goes, they're proving the bridge. They're proving that it's, well, it takes a lot because those locomotives are heavy, but they're very expensive. But at the same time, they're proving the strength of the bridge. Trials are like that. In the respect, as you're going through a trial, I go through a trial, is that it's to test my, or to, to prove my, my faith, my hope, my trust, to see if it's genuine, see if it's the real deal, or if we're just playing church. You know, uh, sometimes we, we, I don't know about you, but I have met people that have been really good at playing church. And when trials come, uh, sometimes the ones when you need them the most, where are they? They're not there. The ones who stand the trial stay on point, military says. Stay on point. They're the ones who catch the vision. They're the ones who stay on. You, you've heard the analogy of the goldsmith where he takes the gold and as they're refining the gold, they keep going and heating it up, taking the dross off. And every time he takes it off, he looks in it to see if he can see a reflection of himself. And he knows when he can see a pure reflection like a mirror, he knows that it's done. Well, trials are just like that. It's, it's, it's very much. But see, the difference is the reflection that is reflected in our lives is the face of Christ. As you go through a trial, the more that you go through it and the more that you submit to Christ and allow him to renew your mind and to work in your heart and to change you from glory to glory, as the scripture says, it's not you anymore that's being seen. Trials have a wonderful way of proving us and showing us and revealing Jesus in our lives. But these people, they were in this trial of life and death. And they can rejoice because they believed that God was going to be there for them. He had been there for them and that he was going to keep them and he was going to continue that which he began in their lives. And they could trust in spite of what the circumstances had said. 
Now, God doesn't need to know uh, whether our faith is genuine or not. He already knows. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about our hearts. He knows if you trust. He knows if you believe. He knows if it's just a lot of on the surface. He knows. So the purpose of trial is to burn away those things that don't matter. To take those things in our lives that seemingly may seem really important at the moment. But then after you go through them, you go, wow, that was, why did I get so stressed out about that? It's to get our feet on the, on the firm rock of, of Christ, on the firm understanding of who our great God and Savior is. He's there not only, he saves us to heaven. And so praise God, you know. But some people just get fire insurance, you know. But he not only, not only that, he saves us for here and now because he knows who we're up against. He wants to come in and be a part of where we are and intercede for you in the moment of those trials, those deep trials. But many times people make the mistake about trials that the trials are somehow dealing with some issue of sin. Okay? But that's not what a trial does. That's not what a trial does. The men were in the boat. They were out on the lake. The storm comes. Jesus sent them out there. Were they in sin? No. He sent them into the storm. They didn't do anything wrong. And so what does he do in the middle of the storm to prove their faith? He comes walking to them, doesn't he? Just like he does with us. He'll come there. He will be with you. He promises to be you with you through the fire and through the flood. He will come to you. We just need to abide and trust and believe beyond belief that he will. But people make the mistake that somehow it's because of sin. Uh, Job is a good example. In all this that Job did not sin. In all these things that he went through, his, his faith was tested to the nth degree. Poor guy. I just, man. I really, <laughs> Lord, don't do that. <laughs> Have you considered my servant Dan? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that, you know. But remember the beginning of Peter's epistle. He mentions the the cities of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So as he's writing this, he's, he's conscious of these people. He's conscious of that they were there. And that's why he's writing. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 7, Paul, it speaks of Paul and his attempt to go to these very places. And it says in verse verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After that, they came to uh, Messiah and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, sometimes the Lord says no. Sometimes the guidance of the Lord says no. Doesn't mean that it's, it's wrong. It just means no, don't go there. You're not to go there. But somehow the gospel got to these cities. And so this is the strongest evidence that we have in Scripture that they, uh, they received the gospel as they went that we read in the first portion of the chapter. So we know that Jesus had been, or 
Peter had been with Jesus. We know that he had seen him, he had been with him, he had touched him, and they, along with the other ones. But these guys, these believers, they hadn't. They'd never seen him. They'd heard of his selfless, sacrificing love for them, but they'd never seen him. But at the same time, they rejoiced because of that great love, that great sacrifice that it would be his life for theirs. They, they, they rejoiced with inexpressible, full of glory, joy. They were excited. Interesting, the, this phrase, or it's a word that's in the Greek. It, it literally means, and it only occurs uh, here in the New Testament. It, it, it describes a profound uh, words beyond description. In other words, I don't even know how to express how awesome he is. I, I, I don't even know how. It, and what it was is they were looking at his selfless love. My question is, what was it about your salvation that moved you? What was it about the, the, the salvation of your soul that moved you? And it's with them. Wasn't it his selfless love? It wasn't, it wasn't by order or by command. It was by the love of God. It was his love that was shown to us. First John says this to us. He says, First John 4.10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, that, that's, that's interesting because this is love. He loved me before I even thought of him. He was loving me even while I was yet a sinner. He was loving me and taking care of me while I was a mess. He was loving and watching over me and protecting me while I was living like the devil. What a God. What a magnificent Savior. And this is love. That he, that he would look on a wretch like me and say, I want you. I want you. You're mine. I love that. And it's just like these. When we saw that selfless love, that love that is uncomparable, nobody could love me like Jesus loved me. I think Andre Crouch said had that song like that. Nobody can do me like Jesus can do me. Nobody can do it like that. There's nobody that can love us. But unlike Peter, these men, these women... These people that were on this, this uh, run from the persecution, they'd never seen Jesus, but yet they're full of, of joy, uh, inexpressible and full of glory. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about to Thomas in John 20, verse 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And then Paul, he picks up on this same thing. He's in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We didn't see Jesus, but we hear of Jesus. And so this word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing soul and joints and marrow, and is the uh, discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of men and women. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows what to say to you. And it's that faith that we is joined to that love of the Spirit of God in the Word of God that comes across to our heart. At that moment we go, yes, Lord. 
What Peter, you think of Peter. I love this guy. You know, Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? Oh, some say you're John, some say you're the prophet, some say this and some say that. And then he looks at him, and I said this the other day to all of you. Again, I'm going to say it again. But who do you say that I am? That's what matters. It's in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ when I stand before God. It won't be any of you that will be standing there holding me up. It will be Jesus It'll be Jesus holding me there. It'll be him that is the confirmer of my salvation. It is the confirmer is that this son has believed. And Father, well done. Do you know that the only thing that matters is that we believe to the end? And he says, well done. When you enter in, it isn't about the crown. It isn't about anything. It's about well done. Did you do what you were supposed to do? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Praise God. Yes. So the main thing Peter is emphasizing here is faith. Now, we're not talking about, you know, those, those faith guys out there. What are they called? <laughs> Word of faith. There you go. Word of faith. We're not talking about that. It's not faith in faith, okay? We don't have faith. Well, You've got to have some substance. You know, God is substance. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. You know, it, the, our, we have substance. So the main thing that Peter's talking about is faith. In this faith, we have confidence that we are kept by the power of God through faith. He's holding you. If he says that you're going to make it to the end, guess what? You're going to make it to the end. You're going to enjoy the inheritance of the saints because of Christ, because of your trust. And in that day, you can't say, because I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. You can't say that. Because it's not about what you have done. It's about all that he has done. It's your hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that's it. So Peter is focusing on this work of God through the power, by faith, So as we trust him, there's actions to our faith. You've heard DC talk say love is a verb, right? Maybe you haven't heard DC talk. (laughs) But love is a verb, and acting on that love takes faith. It takes faith to sit back and believe God that he's taken the Holy Spirit, he's shed abroad in your heart, and in that shedding abroad in your heart, that the love of God is put in there. Well, sometimes... You know, it's kind of hard to love one another, isn't it? You know? Have you ever met somebody that's like a porcupine? You know? I I loved our our worship leader in Savannah, Emily. She was such a sweet girl. Oh, she's home with the Lord right now. Young gal, had cancer, and ended up going before the Lord now. And she's there rejoicing. I told her one time, you know, Emily... You're like a porcupine. And she looked at me, what? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, sometimes you come across kind of prickly, you know, and you need to sit back and make sure that you kind of soften it down a little bit. And it was kind of hard for her, but you know what? She received it, and she, she really heard 
what the Lord had to say to her. And so she did. She was, she was a sweetheart. I tell you what, I love Emily, man, and can't wait to see her again. But it's our faith in him that brings us this joy inexpressible, full of glory. You can't even say it. Um, when I first got saved, uh, my life before Christ was a wild and woolly ride. I did, and I went everything, you know, that, well, maybe all of you have. No, <laughs> some of you have. I know many of you didn't, but I did, and I confess that. I was at this party, and everybody there was on drugs. They were smoking pot, drinking, and they were just all around. I just came in, and there was a friend of mine there, and I came in, I sat down, and they were all passing the, 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 the joint around to everybody, and this girl was sitting next to me, and she looks at me, and she says, she goes, here, and I go, no, I don't need that. I got something better, and she goes, you want to share it, and I go, sure. <laughs> you ever, had, yeah, that's the first time, open opportunity to share the gospel, man, <laughs> right in the bin of hell, you know, <laughs> and I began to share her about the love of God that had been shed in my heart by the Holy Spirit and the inexpressible joy that was there about that love. And I began to talk to her and she just went, she just rolled her eyes and went like this, like as to say, oh no, not another one. Because that was during the time of the Jesus freaks, so I was one of them. Anyway, I turned to her and she looked at me and I'm just smiling at her and she goes, you really are happy, aren't you? And I said, yeah. For the first time in my life, first in time in my life, I really have joy. I'm, I'm happier than you can even imagine. And I said, do you like to know about how I have this? And she goes, well, no, not really. And she got up and got away from me as fast as she could. <laughs> but see, inexpressible joy. You know, the, uh, when you're sharing, when you're sharing, oh, the living water, you, you know, the outer your most being will flow that rivers of living water, or like Greg Laurie says, livers of, <laughs> livers of living water. Innermost being flows rivers of living water as you are sharing the word. It's such a joy. It's such a joy when you, you come up. I remember going into the, and, uh, and uh, David was in, in Peru and going to the places that I went in Peru into the jungles and to Pucallpa and back there to those Indians that are there. I'll tell you, the most exciting thing is to see these little Indians that came to this, to this conference that we had and these little guys coming in here. Oh, man, they were full of joy. We'd sit back, interpreter going off and sharing, but it was glorious. I'm going to tell you what. That's the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you. He is there to spring up, O wells, within me. You know that old song, Spring Up, O Well? Come on, let the, let the, let the rivers flow. We, we are spiritual beings that God wants to reveal His Son to this fallen world. And the only way we can do that is if we take the Word of God by the Spirit of God and we convey it with love, joy, peace, meekness, mildness, long-suffering, temperance, and self-control. If we can't do that, then all we are is a bunch of Pharisees. We can't do that. we got to be in love. Love him, 
We do. We love him. I love him. So needless to say here from what Peter is sharing with us, salvation is something that's very unique and very awesome. Our champion laid down his life. The king of glory, Lord of Savos, he's there. The Lord of heaven's armies, that's who he stepped down. Our king, he stepped down to save us. And when Peter's talking about the prophets here, he's going to reveal something to us about them that they, that they didn't even have the privilege of what we have right now. And he says, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. These guys, these guys were scholars, man. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Uh, it, the, the italics there, if you take that, prophesied of the grace to you. And I like that a little because they, they added this for a little bit more uh, textual flow. But if you take that out, it says the prophesied of the grace to you, period. The grace to you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not only to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things with the angels desired to look into. So the prophets, peculiar guys, awesome guys, powerful guys, you know, as they looked into these things that God was going to extend grace. As they looked at grace towards us to the prophets, they were just blown away. They were blown away because God was going to extend something to people that don't deserve heaven. He's going to extend grace to them. So they began to search the scriptures to make sure that they heard what they heard was right. Because as far as they knew, only the blood atonement offered in the temple was any way that you could be made right with God. But somehow God was going to do something new. He was going to do something new. Behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. See, God was going to extend grace. He was going to extend grace to us. He was going to do something that we could have never attained to. You know, the do's and the don'ts that everybody tries to do and based upon the Old Testament was that God was there going, no, I'm doing it to show you you can't make it on your own. As Paul would say, that they were put there as our school teacher to teach us, to show us. You don't have it. So I need to provide it. And so what it is, is that the thing that blew them away was the fact that God was going to give them his righteousness. How can that be? How can that be? Eli, Isaiah, he says in 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Sounds like he's pretty happy here, isn't he? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with jewels. There's so much in that one verse. We don't have time to get into all of it, but it's a, it's a revelation of what God is going to do for the, his bride, for us. He's going to clothe us with his righteousness. Because when you stand before Christ and you stand before the Father, it's not going to be based, based upon your righteousness. And I'm sure glad he's giving me the robes. You go to a wedding, you've got to have the right clothes on when you go to the wedding, you know? And the, he's given us the right robes for the wedding. You know, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, you know that one. So the prophets inquired and they searched, they asked questions. What was, what was the grace of God about? What, did, what do you mean? Because it involved the Messiah. It involved the Messiah. And we know that the Messiah's kingdom would have no end. There would be no end. But how can that be if he's going to be taken, wounded for our transgressions, and then be cut off? How can that be? It did, it was, they didn't know. They, they were just in wonder about it. They saw where Jesus was going to suffer and die. They saw that part. But the part where he would raise again on the third day, conquering sin, death, and hell, for the benefit of a sinner. Wow. He would die for me, for the benefit of me, for all of us. Grace just blew them away. Grace, unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but you're going to get it. You don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. But he's going to give it to me because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So Peter wants the, the reader to understand something here in verse 12. That when the prophets wrote these things, that it wasn't for their benefit, but it was for those who would read it later. It wasn't for them. It was for those, and that's us. And that's why the Old Testament is so important. It's so important. If you want to understand the New Testament, it's all that we need to study. We all need to study the Old Testament. It's all in. When they would teach in the whole counsel of God, when Paul would bring the whole counsel of God, the New Testament had not been written yet. So where was he getting his resources? He was getting it from the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you what. In the Old Testament... Christ concealed, New Testament, Christ revealed. Everything. Well, what about Leviticus? Oh, Leviticus. There's joy in Leviticus. There's joy in Leviticus. Because it's all about my Jesus. It's all about his life, his priesthood, about his sacrifice, his intercession, his redemption. That's what the Levitical word is to us in the book of Leviticus. But you know, it's all about these laws. I mean, well, you know what? Jesus did not come to do away with the law of the prophets, but to do what? Fulfill. Every single one of them. The prophets had trouble about understanding grace. Well, if they had trouble understanding about grace, what do you think the angels had? How do you think that they handled it? See, the order of heaven is righteousness, holiness. That's the order of heaven. That's the rule of heaven. And see, when Jesus came and left heaven and came to the earth, the angels were in awe. They were in awe. 
But they were more in awe as they saw in disbelief of what was happening to their master and commander. What was taking place there, he was being tortured. He was being taken and hung upon the cross. And so they stood, as it were, from, from a distance and they were watching the, the, the reaction of the father. Okay, he's just going to move any moment now. He'll send the command and we'll go down and we'll just take care of him. The command never came. And what happened is the father turned his face away from his only son. What did he do? He did no sin. And yet the father turned away. Why did he turn away? He turned away for you and me. So that we could, he, Jesus, we could fulfill the redemptive factor of salvation. Jesus would say of himself, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. What was waiting for him there? The cross. He's in the garden, as you know the story. He's there in the garden. He begins to sweat great drops of blood. And they came to minister to him, not to deliver him from where he was, but to get him to the cross. Jesus' focus was the cross for you and for me and for all those who would come. Now the angels were amazed. And they said, wow, what is going on? They desired to look into these things about grace that even the prophets and then the angels in heaven was all going, whoa. And so they, the angels thought, you know, well, here's God's creation. They're killing the king of glory. They're killing him. But see, they didn't kill him. I'm going to tell you this right now. The Jews didn't kill him and the Romans didn't kill him. What? They hung him on a cross, yeah, but they didn't kill him. Listen to what John says in John 10, 17. Therefore, my father, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus laid down his life. They thought they were killing him. But we know what he said from the cross. It is finished. What was finished? The redemption. The fact of you being able to come and be clothed with robes of righteousness through the blood of Christ, have access now, free access to the throne of God where we can come boldly into that throne of grace and petition our Father in heaven. And that's who he is. That's what Peter's conveying. When these people are running and they're scared and they're running for their lives and he's going, hey, look, I want to tell you what the prophets went through. I want to let you know what Jesus went through. I want to let you know what the angels went through and what we go through. This is the, as I come to the end of this, I just want you to reflect on your heart of the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart and how great a God we serve. How wonderful he is. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And uh, we come because he's called us and as an invitation to come to Christ, we all come. 
But if you haven't come, I want to give you an invitation as we close today that you would have an invitation to come to Jesus. Make your heart right. Maybe you're not right in the respect of walking with the Lord. He searches our hearts and he tries our ways to see what's going on within us. We're, we're familiar. We know we're not. You can, you, you can hide sin, right? As we, as if you are, as Galatians says, practicing these things, you can get really good at hiding your sin. But it's that moment where you say, no more. I want to break. I want to break from myself. I want to break from this world. I want to break from the sin. There is a moment, and it's something powerful about standing up before fellow believers to say, I'm coming. I'm coming, Lord. I don't want to walk this way anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to live for you, holy for you. There's something about that takes place in the spiritual realm with you and the Holy Spirit. As you come up and you just maybe... The Wednesday night we had this used this as an altar. The people were coming up and just bowing before the Lord and crying and, and praying. It's okay. It's okay. If you need to come up and there's salvation, great. If there's need for you for, for prayer, for repentance, great. We would love to be able to be there to pray for you this morning. But I just want to let you know, spoil alert for next week, We're going to talk about resting in grace. I love that. Resting in grace. Holiness. Holiness. Holiness in the Lord. God's plan of salvation. We got a boogie batch. (laughs) And God's enduring word. That sounds like that. Well, that's David Guzak's title. But before we do that, I, I would like to have Zayden come up and share a closing uh, song with us. And if you would, let's all stand together. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Lord, thank you again. We just give this day to you. And Lord, our hearts and our lives, Lord, I pray that you would come and strengthen my brothers and sisters for the, for the battle that lay ahead. Lord, we are in this world, but you call us to come out of this world. And so I pray in that as we are walking out, Lord, I pray for the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to enable them to stay the course, stay on point. Lord, help them to see you, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Lord, I pray that you'd give a vision of Christ and give us a vision of glory. God, equip us, God, as saints to do your ministry. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.